You think that you are the number one dad? No offense, Homer, but your half-assed underparenting was a lot more fun than your half-assed overparenting. But I'm using my whole head. No wire My father would womanize, he would drink. He would make outrageous claims like he invented the first all right, welcome to Mom and Pop Culture. I am Nate DeWitt. And I am Amanda DeWitt. This is our podcast where we prattle about portrayals of parenting in popular culture. And hopefully the uh, peas aren't popping too much there in our home studio. Uh, what do you think of our home setup here, Amanda? I am delighted to be in our home office, exercise, fitness room, and wherever else we need space. Oh, podcast studio now. Correct. Right. A lot of the professional podcast studios have socks just all over the floor. Right. So you're exactly. in good hands here. Um, the movie we're going to discuss today and talk about sort of the parenting on it and different things we find interesting about it is appropriate for the season. It's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So it's the third movie in the Griswold family saga. Um, the very good vacation, the less good, I dare say, European vacation. Amanda, how long will we have to be doing this podcast before we discuss European vacation? I Years? Years, right? Like our 500th <laughs> episode, maybe, sure. we'll do European vacation. Um, but uh, And then they obviously did Vegas vacation, and I think that's it, right? No. Um, I mean, there was like Van Wilder... Something. No, not the National Lampoon's view. I just mean the Griswolds. Gotcha. Like the National Lampoon's done a lot of stuff from Animal House to Van Wilder, as you say, and a bunch of other stuff. That's a um, literary magazine for humor that John Hughes actually wrote the short story this is based on uh, for it. So uh, that name obviously lended intense credit or incredible credibility to this project. Uh, so let's see. It came out December 1, 1989. And where were you? December 1, 1989. Uh, most likely uh, in, on Regent Drive in Orland Park, probably tucked into my bed. Right, okay. You were three, three years, years old? Three years old. Three years old? Okay. <laughs> I was nine. I saw this in the theater. It was my introduction to the Griswold family. Um, then rented Vacation and European Vacation and was, I mean, they're some of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, what's your relationship with this? Do you remember when you first saw it? I don't. It was such a part of our family's tapestry of, of movies, like one of the ones that we would go to all of the time. Even um, at non-Christmas times? I mean, generally during the holiday season, but uh, I remember my mom telling me about the first time that she saw the movie, which was in, um, she talked about having to... Like cover, she was watching it in their bedroom while we were all asleep with my dad, and she said she had to laugh into a pillow so she didn't wake us up. She thought it was so funny. That sounds right. That's a pretty nice picture of parenting. <laughs> um, we saw it in the theater with. Um, we'll talk about sort of house guests and how people sort of invade your life. With we had a guy live with us for a while. Um, uh, we needed the money and we had an extra room. Um, and he introduced me to sort of Monty Python and mm. National Lampoon and all of these elements that would eventually, Saturday Night Live, all of these things that would eventually become what I consider my personality. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty interesting. Uh, so in terms of the movie, it uh, had a budget of $25 million. It grossed about uh, $73 million that year. But then, as, as Amanda, you point out, it replays every year 
uh, multiple times on Christmas. If I don't think it's streaming anywhere, if you want to watch it, it's on AMC a couple of times coming up, and you can obviously Google it, or it's worth a buy on Amazon. It's you can watch it as Amanda points out every year. Um, so it was directed by a guy named Jeremiah Chechik. Um, have you ever heard of this person, Amanda? No, I have not. Let's see if you've heard of any of his other work. Okay. Um, Benny and June. No. That is a rom-com with Johnny Depp and, oh, like Mary Stuart Masterson or somebody like that. Like it is. Uh, two eccentrics fall in love. Okay. Um, Diabolique is like a... No. You know, not in your... <laughs> no one you've seen. Not in my uh, a, a, like intense... Uh, I think Sharon Stone's in it. It's like an intense thriller. Uh, and The Avengers, which I think you've heard of, but this is not... Marvel's Avengers. Okay. So this is the 1998 adaptation of a British series from the 60s starring Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman that is universally regarded as one of the worst movies ever yeah, made. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was on a bunch of bad movie lists. I, I wonder if the sort of tone we see in those other movies we're going to talk about here because this is a very strange tonal movie. Yeah. Um, written by John Hughes. Now, you're a little mm-hmm. more familiar with his work. Absolutely. Uh, what, when I say John Hughes, what comes to mind for you? Home Alone. Really? Okay. Yeah. Even more than this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the first time I I understood who John Hughes was, was finding out that he was the director of Home Alone, but also then being like, oh, and Sixteen Candles and uh, the other one. Oh, I got it. That's all right. I'm, I'm the one with the MFA screenwriting, so I'll handle the John Hughes trivia. Um, so he did not direct it. He wrote Home Alone, and okay. he wrote this. But it's interesting you mentioned Chris Columbus. This film, National Lampoon's Vacation, was originally given to Chris Columbus, but he couldn't get along with Chevy Chase, which is Ooh. a problem I mean, that would haunt Chevy Chase yeah. for his whole career, right? <laughs> that like, sounds about right. He's great as the dad of Clark Griswold, I think, is pretty shitty as a human being by all accounts. And uh, he's not that but so um hughes did home alone he did this in in sort of his christmas uh pantheon but he also did mr mom uncle buck breakfast club 16 candles pretty in pink uh beethoven um and of course the original vacation that this is based on um so he had sort of tapped out of the vacation series but they asked him to do one more he did it because he could base it on this short story um, in terms of the on-screen talent, uh, as I mentioned, Chevy Chase has had difficulty working with other people, one of them being Dan Harmon on his esteemed show, uh, Community. But there's also Julia Louis-Dreyfus from... Who's amazing. What shows is she on? <laughs> She's in Seinfeld. She was on SNL. She's go. in Veep. Veep, yep. And then um, little Johnny Galecki. Yeah, a little tiny baby boy. From Roseanne and Big Bang, yeah. right? So uh, a pretty astonishing amount of TV acting talent mm-hmm. on this show, mm-hmm. or on this uh, movie. I think we're going to talk about that having like greater significance a little bit later when we talk about the ending of this. and Because uh, this is, in a lot of ways, a TV episode. Yeah, right. It's, it's continuation of characters we know. We're sending, spending a sort of very special holiday with them. And I'm not really sure anything changes. Yeah, you're right. You know? um, okay, so uh, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of like your relationship to it or history with it? Anything that jumps out? Mm, you know, I... Other than quoting this movie endlessly with my brothers, I think that that we've pretty much covered it. Okay, so we're going to go through some different categories we've set up to try to focus this conversation. Uh, the first being what we call the mamas and the papas. So who are the literal parents in this, and what do we think about them? Obviously, I think let's start with Clark, right? 
absolutely. Um, I will say watching this movie with the intent of talking about parenting made me enjoy this movie so much less. Is that right? <laughs> like, he's insane. Mm-hmm. He's awful. Clark is just, he, like... Even, okay, the opening of the film, he puts his family's life in literal danger. Well, okay, hold on. That's the, There's a, a scene before that, and that's I think is important, is the Santa scene. Sure. Right? Which really, you see this animated uh, credit sequence where Santa is just this sort of buffoon mm-hmm. who's well-intentioned. He's trying to give the Griswold gifts, and it keeps blowing up in his face. And I think... Do you know who did the opening? I don't. Um, that would be a good thing if you want to look it up right now, if you have your phone. Um, but I would not be surprised if they added that at the end, um, because I think it really sets the tone for, okay, this guy is a jackass, like unequivocally, um, uh, a frankly, Michael Scott on the office level jackass, right? Like at times, even his, his patter feels, uh, Chevy Chase's patter feels like Michael Scott, but he is lovable and he is, um, interesting to watch and and uh, nonetheless we sort of see him and we root for him but you're right that he's not a great dad and he does pretty immediately uh, in that opening scene uh with the aggressive driving put his family uh at risk we're all right thank god we're all right Mark, we're stuck under a truck do you honestly think i don't know that come on you guys don't fight were either of your parents aggressive drivers uh, yeah, I mean, my my dad is uh, was the driver. I don't know that um, if we were all together in the car, my mom has ever been behind the wheel. Um, and I know that we could make it from our house in Orland Park to like Green Bay, Wisconsin, in like three hours. Sure, <laughs> just Wait, ludicrous. Is that, is that good? <laughs> it's good time. Okay. Um. My dad was an aggressive driver in the sense that he drove really fast, but my mm-hmm. mom was the one who had road rage and would have done something like this of like, no, we're going 90 because of this jackass, not just because that's the way we go. Um, uh, I thought that um, his... Clark is really represented in a lot of different ways here, um, but I think the lights are a really good symbol for him, right? Of mm-hmm. this big, shiny thing that means a lot to him and, and it doesn't so much matter to everybody else and it's frankly kind of annoying to everybody else but he cares about it and he wants it to shine really brightly um i thought there was some really humanizing dad moments uh related to the lights particularly when he's like fails at them Mm -hmm. right when they don't work and he's like i don't understand i checked every light i did everything right Mm -hmm. and it still doesn't work and i think those moments are really important like the santa introduction towards sort of getting us on Clark's side and getting us to uh, root for him, even though, as you say, like he's, he's we'll talk about it, but he's not a, a particularly great dad. Um, your parents sing in the car? Oh, yeah. We would always have, uh, especially around the holiday times. I remember having a big, like, Ziploc bag full of cassette tapes. Sure. Okay. <laughs> holiday cassette tapes? Yes, sir. How about, so we come from very different families. Mm-hmm. My uh, parents were briefly married and then my dad has had a series of different relationships since then and and remarried a much younger woman and my mom sort of fell into oh oh, i better raise these kids um your parents are what is the somebody needed to what is your parents background uh my parents have been married since 1980 um good year yeah but like you know i are a 
you know, a couple who started dating in high school and are Catholic. And I think sure. that's just what you do. <laughs> or it's certainly what you did at that time. Right? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, they had three kids. I am one of them. And um, every year for Christmas holidays, we'd have a big holiday gathering at our house for Christmas Eve. And the next morning, get up ass early and drive to one of my aunt's or dad's relative's house. Sure. Okay. Um, but so when Clark is hitting on the sales girl at the Marshall Fields, that was not an experience of yours. Totally unrelatable for me. My dad had a regular <laughs> stable of sales girls he would flirt with when he took us to the mall on Tuesdays. Uh, so I saw that. The only difference was my dad was smoother than Clark. Well, and I would say he stopped when Rusty like comes up to him. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it, the same was for your dad. Uh, I don't I just remember being told to act like I was his brother. I don't really remember so, how no. much cock blocking I was doing, but I'm sure quite a bit. Um, in terms of other moments, I thought Clark was very daddish uh, when he handled the handed this tangled ball of Christmas lights to oh Ross and his face. Like, exactly. You sort this out. <laughs> yeah. uh, like real extended. Here, I want to do this big project. Mm-hmm. I don't want to actually do this big project. You need my help. I'll be upstairs asleep, yeah. as, as his dad says later. Um I liked them getting on the roof to do lights. I remember doing that uh, as a kid, certainly older than it made my mother comfortable uh, for her legally blind son to be climbing on the roof. But uh, (laughs) that I I really related to. And then more as an adult and dad myself, but his klutzy home repairs. Oh, my gosh. Like falling off the ladder is something I could easily see myself doing, uh, (laughs) you know, with when I'm fixing curtain rods or doing something with the best of intentions. Absolutely. Um. And then the, this is a little dark, but his freak out in the end when he's like, when the old guy has burned the tree down and so they go cut a tree out of Julia Louis-Dreyfus's yard, like mm-hmm. he's behaving insane. But the way he lays out the logic of like, no, I'm simply solving a problem. <laughs> we had uh, one tree that was damaged and I found a suitable replacement and brought it inside. And he's speaking reasonably but his eyes are going bonkers and i've seen that in my dad and done it as a dad myself (laughs) you know i would also say from clark we don't get a lot of dad moments Mm -hmm. we i mean he wants them he totally wants them but even with russ and with audrey like we don't really see him interacting with them a ton i mean when he does with russ it's to give him work Mm -hmm. and when we do with Audrey, it's him ignoring her pain at the beginning of the film and then not really interacting with her sure. for the rest of the movie. We'll come back to it, but I think what we'll sort of zoom in on Clark is that the image of Christmas matters a lot more to him than actually interacting with people and getting any feedback oh my or, God, or 100%. reciprocal relationship. At one point, he says that, you know, uh, when everyone arrives, when his parents and Ellen's parents arrive at the house and it's like... This is actually what the Christmas he asked for is. Mm-hmm. He goes outside. Mm-hmm. He runs away immediately. <laughs> immediately. Yep. Which could not relate to that more. <laughs> oh, no. This is the, the coffin oh, I've shoot. built for myself. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, the wife and mother of the Griswold is Ellen. Um, and I think they're... Uh, number one, you what did you, you had thoughts on Beverly D'Angelo in this oh movie. Oh, my yesterday. God. She's a goddess. She's just... She's stunning. She's, she's what... Like, you know, we're told a mom is supposed to be 
she is soft and kind and forgiving and beautiful. And she's always just looks glorious. Maybe shouldn't say this to my wife, but first ever MILF. Oh, in yeah. In my experience. Of, For sure. Like, sorry, Stifler's mom, but <laughs> Beverly D'Angelo had 20 years on you. Um, I think their relationship, as you say, is is beautifully encapsulated in her supportingness of him in the, the tree, after, the scene after they've cut down the tree where it's all super sappy and they're sitting in bed, laying in bed and this magazine pages are sticking together. She doesn't say a word about mm-hmm. it. It's this awesome undercurrent of tension in the scene, this the uh, bit they play. And it's on the nose a bit, but that's how she loves her husband, right? The sappiness doesn't bother her, right? His like over-emotionality, his syrupy sweetness, It's she's used to it. Mm-hmm. Or at least will not comment on it. She's always reeling him back in. This was something that was very familiar to me as a... Uh, person who has parents is uh, Ellen will not point out Clark's um, foibles for any reason but like even when they have um, they bring in that crazy big tree from the outdoors it's pressed up against the ceiling so that there's like another two feet that can't fit in the house and she says to him do you think there's enough room for the angel? <laughs> like, she can't even say like, look, it's way too big. Right, we right, can't have right, this tree in the house. Right. She has to always be soft to, to be able to reel him back in. Sure. And um, where I most related to her was when she was hiding smoking. <laughs> yes. Um, I love that. Too. Which just a Christmas story. I once was sitting at a table at my dad's uh, with a couple of his friends and some friends of the family and he was going on and on about how his children would never smoke. Meanwhile, five minutes before that, I had bummed a cigarette from one of the people sitting at that table, and it was in my pocket while he was going on uh, about this. Uh, so that really related. Yeah, I, the, and that whole scene of Ellen and Audrey, that was a very parenting moment for me, where she's talking to her daughter, her daughter is complaining, she's listening to her, she's validating her, and then she says, what can I say, except it's Christmas and we're all in misery. (laughs) (laughs) As a um, gender studies uh, major, did that scene pass the Bachelor test? Or no, because they're talking about her brother. No, they're talking to each other about other stuff. Okay. And like, the Bachelor test isn't anything other than something someone once wrote. It, sure. it doesn't actually add oh, well, credence. what is anything? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a gold standard for sure. this. Me- it's just, it's laughable that nothing meets it. Got it. It's not a gold standard for like, this means that it's a movie that is a feminist film. I would not say that about this movie by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. Um, where did your parents hide the presents? In this movie, they hide them in their uninsulated Chicago suburbs attic, which is an unintended joke. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I have no idea. Are I, you serious? You never found your parents' cr- present stash? I never did anything until I was <laughs> old enough to get into real trouble. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, my mom hid them uh, in this weird room in her walk-in closet, like in the scariest room of the house. <laughs> it was a pretty good hedge on her part. Uh, and my dad just put them under the tree wrapped, but like you weren't allowed to touch them. Mm. Like you weren't allowed to like shake a gift and guess what was in it. It was... Uh, very I mean, I, I will say my parents did a good job of hiding them doing that kind of stuff when we were younger kids. And then, like, when we were 
preteens and teens, I remember my mom being like, we're wrapping your presents. Don't come upstairs. Sure. <laughs> so sure. <laughs> it got more obvious as we got older. That makes sense. Did you guys have Christmas morning traditions? Um, our Christmas morning traditions are that everybody opens a present. We all watch as one person opens one present and we make them try on clothes or whatever, mm. just so that we can, you know, belittle them as much as possible. Sure. sure. It's a big <laughs> um, part of Christmas. Yeah. And then have a Christmas, you know, breakfast casserole. But of course this would all be after church or after midnight mass church. Okay. And then you hit the road. And then we'd hit the road. On those incredibly fast trips to Green Bay. Correct. We would, um, again, two different families most of the time. So we'd usually wake up at mom's. She'd read the Christmas story in one of the apostles. Um, and uh, gotta figure it's one of them. Uh, and um, we'd open presents there and then go to my dad's. And then as my dad had the kids and his other families got older, like we would come obviously post what had been a shit show of, of presents opening and things like that. And, um, what about meals? Did you go have big dinner in Green Bay? Did you? No. You so, well, kind of. Our Christmas Eve was always my mom's side of the family because for Polish folks, uh, it's Christmas Eve is the day that you celebrate. And so my mom and I and my grandma would make pierogi for 40 and then have people over who like, you know, my, my, the older I get, the more I realize my grandma was a terrible cook. Um, and she was also, you know, a, a workhorse and very mean about the whole process. Um, and then we'd have that big meal and Santa would come and, you know, somebody would have to wink, wink, go out for ice. And uh, then Santa would arrive and sure. pass out gifts and we'd open them. And then... Um, for my dad's side of the family, instead of a real traditional meal, we always did hors d'oeuvres. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So that was something that I always really liked is sitting around the table with my aunts making makramaki and then waiting for not Santa to come, but us to nice. just open and gifts. And then that's on Christmas Eve. Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Okay. Our Christmas Day thing was sometimes there was like a sweet spot where I would dress up as Santa mm -hmm. for a couple of my siblings, but then they started being like, I'm pretty sure it's you because they could see my acne. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> then, I remember, I remember yeah. Andy really questioning if it if Santa was real because like finally they my uncles broke tradition and allowed uh, my cousin Julie to dress up oh, as boy. Santa. <laughs> Very nice. My dad and I would then sit in his garage, smoke cigars, and drink red wine and deep fried turkey, which is like, none of those things are supposed to go together, no, but it, it worked. Um, in terms of the other family in this, you have multiple generations of people, obviously. Um, I didn't map the family tree, did you? I mean, we see Russ's parents, we see Alan's parents. Clark's parents. Clark's parents. Um, well, we see Russ's parents, they're Clark and Alan. Oh boy, got me there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you see any similarity or familiarity with your family in here? Um, yes. I, I mean, the idea that some of your family member, I, I mean, the scene where both sets of grandparents show up and it is just them hugging and kissing and mm -hmm. it's chaos and the way that that is filmed where it's, it's very really close good. up yeah. and it's POV for a lot of it. 
that's beautiful. That was so familiar and so uncomfortable and like exciting and joyous. And then also like, woof, like exhausting, right? Exhausting. And I will also say, I, I loved the idea that Clark's parents are wonderful. They're so sweet. They're so, so sweet. And Ellen's parents are terrible. Mm -hmm. They're mean and snippy. And the idea that some people in your family are gracious and kind and, most of them are not. It was very familiar to me. Sure. Um, I saw a lot of uh, my grandpa in Cousin Eddie. Like if you gave Randy Quaid an MBA, that's that is my grandpa Tom for sure. Uh, not quite to the extent that like shitters full, but this is a man who's been forwarding me internet porn for twenty years. So yeah, he literally has a metal plate in his head. Um, in terms of the the other thing that sort of rang very very true about the house situation was the siblings staying in other people's rooms, right? And you having to share a room with brothers or uh, Audrey and Russ having to share a room. Uh, did you ever have to do that growing up? Or were you, like when you went to Wisconsin, did everybody get their own room? We didn't really stay the night. We'd sure. always come come back home. I mean, when, when, we, when we did, yeah, we'd all be in the same room or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of the times it would shake out that, like, on family vacations, I'd be in a bed with one of my brothers or, or with my mom sure. a lot of the time, sure. too. Sure. Um, and, I, you know, that that was familiar. I snored too loud, so I always got my own room as a realized defense <laughs> mechanism. Um, and then, what's the longest you guys ever had a house guest? Do you remember? Did you have anybody overstay their welcome? or No. Okay. People mm-hmm. didn't really stay at our house. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's the, the idea that... You know, it's standards that no family could ever live up to for mm-hmm. a holiday, which is, is one thing that I think Ellen says to Clark at one point. Um, you know, I don't think people really wanted to stay at our house. Sure, sure, <laughs> like, sure, sure, sure. That's too much. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, it was always, being at my dad's always, I felt like a house guest. Mm. Um, but we never had, we would go like, not for Christmas, but we'd stay at Jana's, my aunt's house in California or Colorado. And like those invariably ended like this does with everybody being like, see you, we're going to a hotel. Yeah, like, right. This is not worth whatever we money we're saving um, to sort of recreate and this what, dynamic. Exactly. And like whatever fun you suppose will be there when mm-hmm. uh, the reality of it is that it's not, it's, it's not, it, you know, the family dynamics are exhausting. And I mean, there's a reason why people grow up. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, so we talked a little bit about the literal family dynamics. I think there are also some sort of surrogate or adaptive figurative families and parents in this. Uh, we're going to call this sort of, you're not the boss of me. Um, and the relationships I noticed particularly were Clark's, Clark's boss as a sort of stand in for his dad. Uh, in a lot of ways, his dad gives him approval, and um, Brian Doyle Murray, his boss, won't give it to him. And in fact, ultimately, is the one he had, the sort of Scrooge he has to win over uh, in the end of the the movie. Um, he's the only one who gets an arc, actually. I think, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and his wife is one of the really redeemable characters in this when she chews him out for 
uh, screwing people over by not giving them the bonuses. She's just like, of all the lousy cheapskate ways to save a buck, which I think is, uh, please, more wives like that talking to executives <laughs> if, if that's possible. Um, and then the other one I saw is The Neighbors, right? So yeah. Julie Louis-Dreyfus and the guy who I always think is the guy from Silk Stockings and is not. Todd. Sure. Is that is he Todd? His I mean, name is yeah, Todd. Todd and Margo, right? That's who they are. Okay. Uh, so they get all of Clark's hostility, mm-hmm. right? We don't get any, I mean, they're jackasses to each other, but we don't get any real source of their conflict. But it seems they're all dehumanized, right? They, they so get, are, they get all of his, his anger and rage and all of that. And they are portrayed as like childless vampires. Like mm-hmm. they are just. <laughs> They are not even human in the way that they are. Like, the the moments that we get with them, it's all of them being chippy and weird with each other rather than, like, what a delight it is to be in your own home for the holiday. Mm -hmm. I think, though, it is. We talked about the, um, or I mentioned the uninsulated basement. Those people live in River North, right? Right. Those people don't live out in (laughs) Waukegan or wherever this is supposed to take place. Sure, sure. Um, Did you have any other pseudo parents or stand in parent moments you saw? I mean, if we want to talk more about uh, Randy Quaid's character, for sure. I mean, he's a, he's an actual dad, but, um, you know, I think he's one of the people who does some real dad shit. <laughs> Such as? <laughs> uh, literally emptying shit from mm-hmm. their family trailer. Like, that is a thing that has to be done. It's not glamorous, but he's doing it. Sure. And he's doing it cheerfully, too, sure. which I think sure. is really cool. Sure. And, um, yeah, I think there's, there's moments where it's just like, yeah, he has a shitty lot in life, but he is making the most of it. Mm -hmm. And like, he is, I think, you know, doing some things that are actual dad things. Her eyes aren't crossed anymore. That's something, ain't it? She falls in a well, eyes go cross. She gets kicked by a mule. They go back to normal. I don't know. (laughs) Sure. Like he can't take care of himself, but he... There's a heart in his relationship with his family that seems to be absent from Clark's. Yeah, in right? a weird like, way. Yeah, uh, He has none of the show, none of the lights. And Right, and Clark is all show, all mm-hmm. lights. And I like, yeah, the other thing is, who spends that much money without talking to their we'll, wife? We'll get to it. So <laughs> put a pin in that. We're going to... We're, we're going to make this whole thing fall apart and alienate our entire audience by oh, ruining the, the movie. The, the other dad, I would say, is Rusty. Rusty multiple times calms Clark down. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, there are multiple occasions where he's the first one to intervene. And, like, when uh, the tree burns down, he's like, oh, God, you know, dad's going to flip out. And he's the one who's actually, like, slowing his dad down and trying to parent. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. That's true. Um... Okay, so what then uh, bad parenting moments did you see? We've oh, touched on boy. some of them. Yeah. Um, the first one being the aggressive driving, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, in the beginning, that Fast and Furious uh, Ford Taurus station wagon, which, shout out to Ford Taurus station wagons. It's, I've seen people drive those like those while I was in them uh, yeah, in high same. school. The backward seat in the back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, was obviously crazy. Did you ever get in any car accidents as a kid? Yes. Not in, not in that car. Um, not really. There was one where I was in an Astro minivan. Sure. <laughs> on the way to a wedding. 
hurts about it. <laughs> we skidded out of the snow when I was like five and went up on the guardrail. So our car was like oh boy. up like this. And yeah. I was like, do it again, do it again. I thought it was the coolest thing. <laughs> um, and I thought down, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, chopping the tree down. Um, right. I mean, literally Audrey is maybe frozen. needs to go to the doctor <laughs> like and your eyes are frozen over so they can get this uh, enormous tree um and then night sledding night sledding that, that was where are they in the chicagoland area well, yes there's more hills there than anywhere <laughs> in the state of illinois but like a kid in eighth grade had a horrific sledding incident during the day, right? Yeah. And had a colostomy bag for the rest of eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's a dangerous thing as it is. I, I certainly appreciated him greasing up the sled, but you, you do that in daylight hours, right? Yeah, I would think you'd have to. Um, okay, what else did you see uh, that was bad parenting before we get to obviously the, the, the big to-do with the pool and the bonus? Oh, sure, sure, course. sure. Um... You know, I I think all of the moments that we see Ellen, she's writing Christmas cards, she's preparing meals, Mm -hmm. she's doing things that actually nourish people in connection. Mm -hmm. And Clark is never around for any of those parts. He's alone and weird and... Being (laughs) aloof in the attic, uh, having like nostalgia, right? Like he's not a part of it. Nostalgia for like... Moments that don't even look good when you're watching them. Sure. You know, like it's his uncle hitting his hand away from like look, grabbing presents for Christmas. Like they're they're not great moments. I think the um, turkey is a really good metaphor for <laughs> Clark's ideal Christmas, right? Where it mm-hmm. looks absolutely beautiful on the outside, but inside it's dead and dry and barely edible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, let's talk about the sort of the plot of the movie essentially hangs on uh, Clark wants or is expecting his Christmas bonus. Uh, he has, uh, unbeknownst to his wife, written a check as a deposit for a pool in a Chicago suburban home. Uh, and this check is, um, do we know the amount? Is it $7,500? Where did I yeah. get that from? That's okay. So you wrote a $7,500 check in 1989. And we know that this check is such that it's more than they have in their savings account. And that's why he needs this bonus to cover this check he's written for this pool, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Amanda, I turn the floor over to you. Explain to me why this is bad parenting or bad uh, husbanding. I mean, it's bad. It's it's nobody wants the fucking pool. <laughs> well, right. Number one, we don't see anybody but Clark wanting that pool. It's all his idea of what will happen. Again, he's like looking out the window and imagining his perfect summer getaway with the pool in his backyard. And he's inside again. He doesn't picture mm-hmm. himself out there with them. And and it's not even really his family because it becomes his m fantasy yes. about the sales girl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like, so it's a totally selfish desire he has. Absolutely. He wants to once again be the good guy. But for, for me, the bigger thing is you can't write a check like that. Like, oh you my can't God. do that to your family. Well, no, I um, know. And, and put them in that position. No, I understand. All right, so so in in today's money, um, that's about fifteen thousand dollars, right? The the check. So uh, that's a pretty big chunk of change to write a check in uh, in and of itself. But then to not be able to cover it too is is super bad. That said, we both. I didn't grow up with it, but my dad now has a house with a pool. You have a house with a pool. What does a pool mean to your family? Is it? Um, are I'm- you being unfair to Clark? 
Well, I don't know. Clark is... I see so much of my family in the way, and it's probably why my parents love this movie and think it's so hysterical and why we watch it every year. I remember one Christmas, we all woke up, went downstairs, and my dad, we were like happy and excited to see the tree. We're in our cute pajamas. My dad yelled at all of us and made us go back upstairs so he could get the video camera out and pretend we were just waking up for Christmas. There you go, take two. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Real life. So, the my dad is Clark. We he won the lottery once, literally, sure. okay. and that's how we got our pool at our house that I grew up in. Um, okay, so hold on. So your dad won the lottery. How much money are we talking? I have no idea. I was too little, okay. but enough to put a pool in a backyard. Okay, and <laughs> that's what they did with it. <laughs> Thing one was pool two. What year was this? Was this 1989? It was probably 1989. It was like, I, I guess a pool in your house <laughs> Maybe was like 1990. the status symbol of, the, of this era. Um, yeah. Did you guys use it a lot? Oh, we used it all the time. Did you? Okay, yeah. well, not in the winter. Well, no, obviously not. Mm-hmm. But I mean, during the summer, it, like ha- being a kid and being in the pool all the time, we were never, I mean, even when we moved to a different house and also had a pool in my backyard, brag, like we never had a lot of friends over sure. for it. Like neighborhood kids weren't allowed in it. I mean, I think it's again, just like the idea that we're, it wasn't fun. It, sure. Was, like, sure. it was just for the viewing for right. like to say we have it. It was, I always liked visiting a house with a pool. Mm-hmm. You know, my Aunt Janice's house had a pool and we would visit people in California's houses had pools where obviously it's a lot more common than the Chicago suburbs. But well, once my dad got one, I mean, I was a little bit older, but that shit never works. Right. Like there's always, oh, we got to have the pH guy out or the hot tub jets busted or it's, it's uh, like a boat or something yeah. where it's just a constant source of maintenance. I will say I loved, uh, Helping all the frogs out of the pool in the morning. <laughs> okay. You would. Um, so, all right. He has this plan. He writes this check. He doesn't get the bonus. He right. gets his, his jam of the month thing. And then Which, he... Which, again, Randy Quaid is Cousin Eddie. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Like, so sweet. Like, oh, Clark. Like, and he's, like, legitimately happy mm-hmm. for him. <laughs> I need the jam. Yeah. Um, so... He, he has his, his, you know, hypothetical thing that I don't think is, I think Eddie takes too far, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think Clark literally wanted him to kidnap his boss. No, um, but all he has to do is stop payment on the check. Oh my God, right? It's a $50 fix. Yeah. That's like, oh, you eat crow, you have an argument with Ellen and you move on with your business. By the way, how much money do they need to fix the house? And fly people down. It can't. And what, yeah. And whatever's in presumably in the account now be reimbursed right so right. yeah i don't think you're getting that pool clark i'm sorry i've not <laughs> seen vegas vacation so i don't know how it all shakes out um but I, it's it's very uh, frustrating to watch right and mm-hmm. and then i think in the end it's interesting you get a reverse home alone where the police are raiding a house full of people and there's no criminals and then two years later they did home alone which is the the inverse of that right it's such a harbinger of of things to come so like the the corporation screwing over all of their employees the military industrial complex that happens with the SWAT team mm-hmm. and if they were a black household the movie would end with them all being dead mm-hmm. um but it's not it's a comedy <laughs> allegedly well i don't know because well, there there are a couple moments where it really does seem like a horror film when was this so we see 
Clark when he has the chainsaw. Hey, Griswold, where do you think you're going to put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. You've got a lot of nerve talking to me like that, Griswold. I wasn't talking to you. And he's like kind of threatening his he's neighbors. He's got the Jason mask. He's yeah, he's not kind of threatening. He says he's going to shove the tree up her ass. Like, it's not... It's subtext, right. but it's not kind of threatening. Right. It's, it's threatening. And then, and then at the end, it's also played with music that mm-hmm. is horror music. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, too, when he brings out the chainsaw again, it's much of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's that same like level of tension where it's like, oh, this can break bad. Yeah, it's not dissimilar from The Shining yeah. right? or something like that. Yeah. And at one point, Clark's dad says to him, Ah, you're too good of a father to mm. to do this. And it's like, where have we seen Clark be too good of a father to lose his mind? It's all been building to this. To this, right, right, right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It leads me to what do you think Clark would be doing without his family? Dead. Like, I think they need him. I think he'd be uh, <laughs> the guy who like poisoned Tylenol. Oh, sure. Because he's like a chemist, right? Which they just sort of gloss over, but he's got those molecule models in his office and he works with food additives. So they could absolutely be poisoning people. Yeah, it's like, nothing good. All those crazy killers are here in the Chicagoland area. And, but where would Ellen be? She could marry anybody anytime. Like, Ellen is. But, could I mean, trade without up at being any married. Hmm? Without being married. We don't know anything about her. We don't know her, enough about her, right? But she, which is a shame because she's really an, a star of this film. But she's, uh, how do you mean? I mean, she's the one who's, like, she has all of the skill set to really be successful. Sure. She carries the weight of the family. Sure. Yes. For sure. Yes. For Not sure. the film. Yes. Well, that brings us to uh, the sort of ultimate question of, is this a positive portrayal of Christmas, do you think? Or is this, did you feel good? You mentioned at the beginning that as a parent. No. You did not feel good watching this. Okay, well, what do you think? I think think? it's an accurate portrayal. Right? It's kind of like insanely accurate. Yeah, I mean, at least from from my family perspective, it's it's the chaos and the the moments, the glimpses of happiness, the glimpses of joy, but the overall struggle and stress and worry Mm -hmm. that come with holiday. Um and and the you know intrusion of family whether it's your brother sleeping in your bed or you know uh, your cousin Eddie coming in and having not said that they were coming in it's it's all of the the things that i experienced as a kid and um again made it so familiar to me sure sure it's a complete erosion of boundaries and norms and what the movie does well is you sort of get the hell out of there, right? You don't have to deal with the cleanup. You don't have to see him fix a window or, oh, no, the hole Clark made in the floor from when he was in the attic, right? So and, Yeah, we don't have to see Russ and Audrey get older. I mean, until Vegas vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we don't Maybe. have to see I don't know. Um, But it is, and, and that sort of goes back to what I was saying where I, I pointed out that this is more of a TV episode where it's not... Nothing changes, right? We don't... Mm-hmm. Nobody has an arc. Nobody... Clark is overzealous in the beginning. He's overzealous in the end, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's nobody Nobody grows. learned a lesson except for... Brian, Brian. Murray, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's, I guess, the hero of, of the story. I, did um, Eddie learn a lesson? 
I, I mean, I don't think so. I'd right? have to look at what he says after the kidnapping, but it's hard to imagine Randy Quaid getting a more <laughs> of a sort of arc than they give Clark. But it's it's uh, that's one of the fundamental differences here as we sort of wrap this up to talk about what we're going to talk about more on this podcast. But if between TV and film, where TV characters tend to be sort of trapped and making the same mistakes over and over again, and film characters tend to be trying to change. Yeah. Um, and I, I think mean, both are important for parenting. Right. And, and I, w- I would say this being part of, it makes sense that it's John Hughes. It makes sense that it's National Lampoons. It makes sense that it's something that has come out of a serialized mm-hmm. piece because it really does feel like you just lifted it up and it's it's not trying to be a complete story. It's trying sure. to tell, you know, look at the snippet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it works really well. And I think it works really well as our first podcast. So hopefully we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Uh, and Amanda, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'd like to leave with it's Christmas and we're all in misery. <laughs> <laughs>